So with that, let's go ahead and bring up the message slide. So I made this my, myself, and I want you to just take it in. I'm no Reb digital Rembrandt, but there is significance and meaning in this slide, so I just want you to take it in and notice the little elements and pieces. I promise the meaning is on the surface, there's nothing deep. Okay, you can take the slide down. Keep that in your mind, the different elements, some of the contrasting elements of that picture. Now listen to these verses. This one's from, directly from the words, uh, the mouth of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world does. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Go ahead and bring the slide back up. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives it. I lay before you two choices, two options, life or death. Choose life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. You see, every one of us has a choice every day between the type of day we want to have. And once those days start to accumulate, that becomes our life. And at the end of your life, that will be your eternal destiny. Jesus lays before us life and death. And the reality is, is that he will not live our life for us. He gives you his life to live, his inner, divine, supernatural, more than enough life, no matter what your problem is, but he will not live your life for you. And if you try that and make it to the end, my friend, you will not spend eternity with him because you did not live your life for him. But he does share his life with you so that you can become all that he made for you to be with him. In other words, you infinitely count in his eyes. You are something, a somebody he died for. We're all afraid of the grave, but the reality is, is that like in this picture, you get to choose each day, is it already looking like death? Or instead, are you going to choose to look more like the sunflowers, which I deliberately made higher than the grave? Death is always there. There's always an aspect to our life that tries to steal our joy, tries to mess up our peace. But we have a choice every day to rest in Christ's power and his strength and believe that he can turn anything for good and in fact is allowing sometimes the negative things to take place to strengthen the very areas we are weak. It's all for a purpose. You can take the slide down. Tonight... Tonight, I'm used to preaching on Thursday nights with the young adults. This morning, 
I felt led to expand on the concepts of rest and peace. Profoundly important concepts today. I really felt led to try to make them as clear as I can, what they are, how they go together, and how to obtain them. In fact, I want you to notice that I didn't title this message Rest and Peace as if they don't go together. This is actually a common problem of why we lack both is that we think it's rest and peace as if they don't go together when in fact the scriptures say that they essentially go together. That if you do not know how to rest and moderate your pace in life, you will have no peace. But on the flip side, if you do not know what peace is, then you will also never have any rest or it'll be of a kind that is fleeting, but still, slowly but surely, you hate your life, even under the banner of Jesus, because you still have not understood what rest and peace are. There's a reason I titled it Rest in Peace, because I believe that is the biblical formula that works. Rest in peace. If you want to experience both rest and peace in a way that's more than just lasting that lasts longer than five minutes or some glorious day that you hope to hold on to. If you want it longer than that, you need to learn to rest in peace. And we're gonna be unpacking that this morning. I felt that this was a very fitting message. One, because pastor himself is on sabbatical. And I'll tell you what, my friends, he does not like it. <laughs> Our pastor, he is a go-getter, he is a doer, and he does not like being away from you guys. He loves being with you guys. And I can tell you personally, he's like, why is the board making me do this? <laughs> but don't we all know that pastor needs these types of rest? Because what is one of the messages of the world? Go, 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 go. And it even bleeds into the church. Go for Jesus, go, 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 go for Jesus, go for Jesus. And yet, isn't it interesting that when we read the scriptures, Jesus doesn't sound like that. It sounds like what we've heard that Satan comes masquerading as an angel of light. Don't you think that Satan doesn't know how to use Jesus's words? But it's always radically different than his character. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and then you'll find rest, rest, rest. That's indulgent. No, that's what Satan told you. Rest. No, I have this instinct, I just gotta go. I was made for activism. I was made to do this. I was made to do that. I was made. No, no, the, your maker, rest. I also felt this was a fitting message because of the times in which we live. We are living at such a dizzying pace of life and a lot of it, we even do it saying it's church or it's Christian. We're living at such a dizzying pace of life that we don't even know how to slow down sometimes and to pay attention to areas that are not working or not doing or falling apart. Who wouldn't like a little more rest and peace? I know I would, right? So let me read for you two entries from a book by a Christian author and medical doctor, Richard Swenson. It's a best-selling book called Margin. It's a phenomenal book. I'm gonna read two entries just to set the tone. 
It's really good. He sets the context for the times in which we live. He says, the conditions of modern day living devour margin. If you are homeless, we send you to a shelter. If you are penniless, we offer you food stamps. If you are breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you are marginless, meaning you have absolutely no extra time, you have no margin in your life whatsoever, we just give you one more thing to do. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the bank because you're 10 minutes late dropping off the kids at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your wallet. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath left at the top of the staircase, money left at the end of the month, and sanity left at the end of ad adolescence. Marginless is the baby crying and the phone ringing at the same time. Margin is grandma taking the baby for the afternoon. Marginless is being asked to carry a load five pounds heavier than you can lift. Margin is a friend to carry half that burden. Marginless is not having time to finish the book you were reading on stress. Margin is having the time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is red ink. Margin is black ink. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is anxiety. Margin is security. Marginless is culture. Margin is counterculture, and I would say kingdom. Marginless is the disease of the new millennium. Margin is its cure. I believe we're starting, hopefully you're getting a glimmer of you have had an angel of light at your shoulder, setting the pace of your soul and your family and your life. And I wonder if it is not a true angel, but maybe an enemy masquerading. He goes on, we live in an unprecedented era with unprecedented problems. This would seem self-evident, yet still I have a difficulty sometimes convincing people of this. Many insist that there is nothing new under the sun and especially disdain the whining and sniveling of the weak who complain incessantly about life's problems. When you discuss these difficulties with them, a challenge inevitably results. Life isn't any different now, they say. Sure, that little newborn baby might have a difficult life, but people have always had problems and always will. If you went back to the good old days, you wouldn't stand it for a week. You'd come flying back to the troubled 21st century in a flash. He goes on. In fairness to the skeptics and Stoics, I will concede that comparisons between times present and past do reveal several similarities. One, we have problems, so do they. Two, our problems are painful, painful so were theirs. Three, we have some advantages in our lifestyle and our ancestors had some advantages in their lifestyle. All of this is true so far as it goes, but, what, but where we radically differ from our ancestors and indeed even from our own recent past is that suddenly, almost overnight, an entire new wave of social, technological, and economic experience has descended upon us. It's as if history sneezed and we've been thrown into a completely different trajectory. And then he has this interesting list of unprecedented things in human history. I cannot read all of them. There's like 50, but I'm gonna share a few. The reason I'm doing this is because I need to set the tone. We are living in a culture, and I believe, unfortunately, we are being hooked and synced into a pace of life that Jesus did not set out for us. And it is killing our families, our marriages, our children, and our soul. And we need a revelation and a renovation of how we see time and pace 
Here's an unprecedented partial list. Speed of travel, unprecedented. Power of computers, information age, litigation levels. You ever think there's ever been so much fear and actual lawsuits taking place in human history? There has been in the last hundred years. Technological advances, complexity, shrinking world, tightly coupled world system, national indebtedness. We're high up on that list. Corporate indebtedness, population congestion, vulnerability to terrorism, mobility, speed of communication, collapse of information flow, media pervasiveness and power, specialization, electronic money, international indebtedness, personal indebtedness, traffic congestion, land and air, on and on and on. His point being, these are unprecedented. And all of them keep saying the same thing. Go, 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 faster, more efficient, faster, more efficient, faster, more efficient, faster, more efficient. And I wonder if we look more Christ-like because of it. For some of us, this is at the level of an addiction. Rest to you starts to literally create what a psychologist would call a withdrawal symptom. And I'm telling you right now, that's not right. And that is not gonna lead you to godliness. At some point we gotta face and go through the withdrawal symptoms as we take the yoke of our Lord upon us and get back to a kingdom pace, which ought to look different than the world, amen? You see, we are living in a truly unprecedented time of progress, pace, and frenzy. It's not just you, it's not just us, it's all of us in the global machine. Most of us literally can no longer keep up with ourselves, literally losing our heads. I think I have a photo of that. Yeah, there's another one. This is also what we look like. We laugh, but it's true. When Adam sinned, what was the first thing God said to him after they hid behind the bush? Where are you? So many of us, if Jesus were to say that to you, you literally didn't even know that you were lost. Where are you right now? I don't know, I'm on the way. Where's your family right now? I don't know, I'm working my tushy off. Where's your marriage at right now? I don't know, I'm fearing, I'm, I'm freaking out about failing. It is amazing that pace and this feeling of I'm going somewhere is we're not actually working and investing and putting in the hard work of the areas that God's trying to bless our pants off. And this does not come from him. Most of us are not even keeping up with ourselves. We jump from one task or crisis to another. Some of us, we have made our whole identity that you're, you're a crisis manager and you somehow think that this is a great label for yourself. Jesus is the only one that can go from crisis to crisis and crisis and maintain a perfect harmony of peace. We cannot. Jesus, oh, so much so, this jumping from crisis to crisis, so much so, many people wonder what's even true or real anymore. They don't even ask that question anymore. They go, okay, I'm on the way, I'm on the way, I'm on the way. Did you know Jesus is your Lord, God, and Savior? And, oh, I hadn't heard that. Okay, I'll take that with me, but I'm still moving forward. I'm on the way. Okay, I'm a Christian, I get it. Okay, I'm a Christian, but I'm on the way. Where are you going? He's the way, the life, and the truth. What are you pursuing? I don't know, but I'm on the way. That's not a good sign. Because he says there's only two ways. 
Jesus. Choose life, which is him. So if you're like, I'm on the way, Jesus. Jesus like, I'm literally right here. That's not Jesus talking to you. It's amazing how much we can get in our spirits. I'm on the way. And you don't even know where you're going. You don't even know what it feels like to have arrived until you stop long enough to rest in Jesus. And then you go, oh, right, he's home. He's home, he's home, he's home. Don't stay there, don't stay there. Gotta keep going, gotta go, okay, you spent time with you. Where are you going? He's it. You have people all over the world. I see it even with young adults who've been raised in church. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's my purpose? What's it mean to be a man? What's it mean to be a woman, a husband, a wife, a child, a teenager, a believer, a partner, a provider, an achiever? What's it even mean to mean? There's no time. And all of this is slowly a drift towards insanity, a literally losing of one's head. And some people even celebrate this as a good thing. But don't worry, Pastor Chris, we've still got strong emotions about all of it. We've got strong emotions, convictions, they say. We haven't lost that. What it means to be a man, we stand for it. What it means to be a woman, we stand for that. What it means to be a child, we stand for that. What it means to be successful, to be a Christian, to be. You ask me anything and I will tell you, I stand for it. Just don't ask me what it means. Because then I'll stumble and mumble and grumble and move on and get aggressive. Don't you pin me down. Who has time for that stuff? I'm on the way, but I've got strong emotions about all of it. Don't you worry about that. What are we doing? Where are we going? What do we believe? Aren't you glad we have believers classes in the morning? To help you actually have some rooted beliefs that don't change. They give you light to your day rather than seeing Jesus as your suitcase that you're taking to wear. If you're going, oh my gosh, Pastor Chris, I feel like you're opening up so many, yes! There's something very wrong in the world today and it's killing all of us and the church is supposed to be countercultural. The church is supposed to be a beacon of hope and a different way of being and living. Because Jesus says to us, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me and find rest for your souls. That means you can have your sanity back. You can have your voice back. You can have your get away from me, Satan. You do not dictate my day anymore, my pace of life anymore, my self-esteem anymore. All of this I see as a recipe for uncertainty and anxiety and depression and worldliness and sin because you know what happens to people, even Christians, even followers of Christ, when they don't know how to root themselves in Jesus and instead they just keep following on the, I'm going somewhere, I'm going somewhere, let's go Jesus, I'm going somewhere. It's like we're just taking him with us like a little kid, pulling him along. When we get that way, we start filling up this deep, something's wrong here feeling. We start filling it up with more TV, more phone, more media, more hobbies. We just start filling it up because our soul is not being satisfied by the only one who came and died for our soul to be satisfied, which is Jesus. 
Those things are great in themselves, but they will never satisfy your soul. And if you're going, why isn't Jesus enough? Why? You're right, Pastor. I feel like I'm always on the way, but where am I going? That's exactly what Satan doesn't want you to see. He doesn't want you to ever feel comfortable in the presence of Jesus and Jesus alone and to let him be such a deep foundation for you that the rest of your life is more peaceful because you know that you have anchored yourself in him and how he feels about you and his overflowing life in you. People no longer know what they're doing or why or what even counts as success. It's amazing to me, men, that they're like, I'm working my tushy off. Okay. Is that really successful? Do you smile more because of this pace of life? Do you feel better about yourself? Is your family doing better because of it? These are questions we must ask ourselves. These are questions we have to be willing to face going, how am I actually living my life? What am I really doing with my life? Because we're all on the way. Where? I stink at keeping plants alive. But that's often sometimes the pace of our life is Jesus like, here's this beautiful plant. It's called your marriage and your children. They are gonna bless your socks off. They're gonna challenge you. They're gonna grow you. They're gonna make you more humble than you've ever been. They're gonna face your anger problems. They're gonna work through it. They're gonna do it all together. Let's call it a sunflower. And I'm gonna give you this really great job. It may not even be that great, but it is gonna help you grow too. And he's like, here are these beautiful gifts, some hobbies. And it's like, Jesus gives them to us and he goes, now water it and keep it alive. And it's like, this is what I do is when I get plants, I'm like, yeah, oh, they're so pretty, so cute. Yeah, but you know, I've got like other things over here I really want to do. And then I neglect the plants and they start to die. Who here does not have a green thumb either, right? We should not be doing this in these areas though. When Jesus says this, this, and this, that is my job, is I put lots of water and I maintain that. And I do this one and I do that one. And then when I'm like, but over here, and Jesus is like, I, there's nothing over there. Literally, there's nothing over there. But I feel like there is. Resist the tempter. But I'm on the way to where? It's like nothingness. And that's how it feels. And so when you lose your head and you're like, God, where's my happiness? He's like, back here, where the stuff that I gave you now invest and pour, but God is so hard, right? Grow into it, dig deep. Because the world says these things don't matter. And I have always said they matter. They are the key to joy and happiness. Stop listening to what the world says about them and start listening to what I have said for thousands of years In other words, people are ever trying, but never resting. (laughs) They're ever trying, but never resting. In the words of prophet Jeremiah, why do you keep saying peace, peace when there is no peace? Jesus is my peace. He is, you're right. But the real question is, does does your soul and life really reflect it? And this is not to be like Pastor Christ getting in my business. No, I'm, I'm literally helping you to ask the right questions. The Holy Spirit would hopefully begin having a dialogue with you in the very areas you really want him to. Because oftentimes the things that are most precious to us and given to us by Christ are oftentimes the areas we are most afraid. 
but they are also the place where God would bless our socks off if we would not run. Thank God there's a way out of all this craziness. The Bible literally says there's a light in the darkness and it has dawned and his name is Jesus, amen? Amen. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm on the way. Jesus is like, me. What you really want is me. That's what you're really looking for. Everything else is gonna let you down. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said it in that order, the way. What is the way? Take my yoke upon you. A yoke has some weight on it, but it's for the purpose. It's for a specific purpose. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, what he's saying is, commit yourself to me and my teachings and my way of living. Take it on you. And if you go like, I'm gonna do it my own way. Jesus is one among many. Well, that's fine. You can do that, Jesus says, but he says that's the path to death. You trying to rule your own life is going to lead a lot of misery and no peace. But he says, if you would like to take your, take my yoke upon you. Yeah, but God, it feels a little heavy. Good, because heavy just means it, it makes you stronger in all the right kinds of ways. And the other cool thing about a yoke is that yokes rarely were given to just one animal. There's usually a second, there's usually a second one for another animal to help. Guess who is also yoked with you? Him. So he's never calling you to a life that you have to figure out on your own. He's calling you to a life of finally just doing it with him. Who here loves companionship? I know I do. One of my favorite parts about being married. Take my yoke upon you. Truth. Learn from me and do what I say. I am the way, take my yoke upon you. Now learn from me, do what I say. And then that leads to life. When you actually put Jesus' yoke and you start to slowly but surely learn his ways, the result is always life and greater life and greater thanksgiving and greater joy and greater margin and greater energy. I've set before you life and death, Jesus said. Choose life. And for those who do, For those who are willing to take that risk of putting on his yoke and learning from him, that they metaphorically sell everything they have to follow Jesus, and sometimes not metaphorically, by the way. He then says this beautiful line we opened up with. I was 20 when I did this. Jesus, if you're real, you can have my life. It stinks. It's a pile of, yeah, you could have it. There is nothing about my life I enjoy anymore. I'm bad at this. If you're real, you can have it. And then I will take whatever you have to say. And for those who take his yoke, he then says, now peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I do not give it as the world does. That's his promise. Then we live his way and at his pace, even though, yes, there's constant temptation from the enemy through the world. No, 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 no. You have to do this. You have to do that. He says, peace. Peace. Rest in peace. But what is rest exactly? I'm gonna give you a simple definition. What is rest? It's real simple. You can go to the next slide. Does that look like rest? Who here would say that? That looks pretty life energizing to me. That would fill my soul, right? But are they sleeping? Interesting. 
They're not sleeping at all. Who here would rather be doing something like this in a loving, wonderful atmosphere than taking a two hour nap? Which one would have more energy? Right? Isn't that interesting? You guys gotta get this. What's the next one? Oh yeah. For some of you, you're like, I love fishing. I am not one of you. I like doing fishing with people because I like people. Fishing does not energize me, but I get it. Because it's like, that's my time to myself. I get to relax. I get to unwind. I get to process. I even let the Holy Spirit minister to me at levels that are not always just intellectual, but it's just happening as I rest in his presence. I'm enjoying some fish and the catching. I get it. Rest. Now, I couldn't leave this one out because it's Red Bluff. Here's another version of rest. I have no idea who those people are, so don't put your, this is why you do not put your pictures on the web. But for some of you, you're like, I want to do something restful, meaning I want to do something that vigorates me, gets my spirit going. Some of you are like, let's go shoot. Right? Here's a good definition of rest. Rest is enjoying something good. That's it, friends. That's it. But you see, what does the world say rest is? Take a nap, sleep, because you're tired all the time. Life stinks. Following Jesus is hard, isn't it? Just take a nap, being a mom, being a dad, being a husband. It's just so much, right? The, the life Jesus gave us, you know, it's really, it, it really just is. It's just the only way to actually make it work is you just got to sleep it off all the time. Do you think that comes from Jesus? Oh, you think Satan tells you to take three hour, two hour naps all the time? Absolutely. Now, does Jesus tell you to do that too? Yeah, especially if some of you, you like, you're a nap like, I don't know what to call you, but you don't take naps. You don't, you're like, I don't nap. I don't need to nap. I pray. <laughs> rest is enjoying something good. Another way of putting it is enjoying something good is restful. You see, that's the key. We are a people that have been told beyond the way that we're not actually stopping to look at what do we have that we enjoy doing? And are we doing it regularly? Because that's restful. Some parents, they're so on the way that like they don't even realize how much they love spending time with their children. Pastor, I'm tired all the time. Well, what do you really like to do? I don't know. Well, do you like, do you, do you, do you like your children? Yeah, they're actually a lot of fun. Okay, go do that. Really? That counts? I thought it was just a responsibility. Well, it's that too. But that's the best thing. Jesus gives the best gifts. He makes you responsible for the things that are gonna bring you the most life. Isn't that beautiful? Well, actually, Pastor, I do like hanging out with my children. So what's getting in the way? I don't know this feeling of being on the way. Search your heart. That stuff's there. Marriages drift because both couples are on the way. When they first got married, like, they, like, they were the reason. They were that joy. They were that hope. But Pastor Chris, marriage is hard. Don't you tell me. I get it. But there is nobody I would rather fight with or fight through to become a better man than her. 
So if I'm going to get upset and mad and drain my energy somewhere else, no, I'm going to put all that marriage into my marriage. I mean, all the energy into my marriage. I'm going to use it somewhere. Might as well do it with the person that I dedicated my life with. Pastor Chris, sometimes my spouse is not always so nice. Well, yeah, it's true. Jesus, Jesus is going to show you how to be a forgiver. And a little more gentle. Now, there are other times where you might be in a truly bad relationship. And Jesus' word to that is going to be, trust me. I give you permission to leave that truly objectively bad situation. Or I'm going to put it in their heart to leave. Hold on to me. Trust me. But please Please do not leave my centeredness even as you're going through this very difficult time. I am still your peace. Rest is enjoying something good. But notice it has to be good, otherwise it won't be restful because then it'll become restless. If you pick bad things, then they'll become draining, depleting, aggravating. And that's why there's a proverb, there is no rest for the wicked means a person who keeps picking things that are not good. And that, we all know what that's like, right? I'm stressed out, so I choose this. And then you knew it wasn't a good choice because how do you feel afterwards? <laughs> so pick things that are truly restful and be prepared that there's gonna be sometimes a fight in your heart to keep remembering this is good, this is good, this is good because some of us have been trained out of that. And we got to learn to retrain into the things that honestly bring us the most rest and joy in our lives. I love what, uh, I love this verse on rest that is in Genesis. And it's actually God himself. The creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. So he rested from all his work. Who rested? God did. Do you really think God needs to rest? He's almighty. He's all powerful. He literally says that creating everything is like easy for him. So what is he saying here? Do you think he's actually like, okay, I'm gonna go take a nap. Do you, okay, theologically, if Jesus, if God ever took a nap, everything would go out of existence for those two hours and then come back online after he wakes up. <laughs> that is how the Bible looks at that. Do you understand that? So what's it saying? He's talking about the way we're talking about. When he was done, he enjoyed it. If you're in this room, you are part of his creation. He had you in mind. And right now he is now resting going, hey, I enjoy you. I enjoy you. He then blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. In other words, he went, hey, everybody, if I, if I do it, I want you to do it. We need to set a time, we need to set time apart, even as our maker did, to enjoy the good things we have. Because if we are not actively setting that time to enjoy the good we have, it will be on some level taken from us, if not physically, emotionally, because it will no longer be life-giving for us. We have to learn to rest in the things that God has given us, and he truly gave it to us to enjoy. Now, let's quickly talk about peace. So rest is simply enjoying something good. Well, then what's peace? And you might be surprised what the Bible says peace is. Because a lot of times we think peace is like 
that moment in the storm where I feel like, ah, oh, and I have a picture of being in the Bahamas with a little drink in the sand. That's the good life. That's peace. That's not what the Bible says peace is. In fact, that's one of the world's way of stealing your peace. Now, I'm not saying that that isn't restful and good, like blessings upon you if you can go to the Bahamas, okay? <laughs> but this is actually the, how the Bible defines peace in a more accurate way. And I want you to keep this in mind when Jesus says, I leave you peace. Peace is when things are working properly. You see, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, peace is actually a word that has to do with order, that everything's working in proper order. Who here knows that one of the fastest things that'll take away your peace is when something's not working right? Who here knows that feeling, right? That's the connection here. Peace is when things are working properly. For example, a wristwatch. How many of you know that if a wristwatch, especially the old analog kind, analog kind stops working and you're like, come on, watch, your gears aren't working. It's like, what's happening to you? There's no peace. Ah! It's not until you drop it that like you have some peace, right? Because not working properly. But when the watch is working properly, what do you have? Peace, this is great. A school play. Who here knows if you've ever gone to a play that if everything's working properly, it's like, oh yeah, there's harmony. It's nice, you get to enjoy it. But the minute that all the kids just start going crazy, well, first we all laugh until we realize it's our kids and then there's no peace. <laughs> a marriage. God has literally laid out for us in scriptures how a marriage is supposed to work. And he didn't say it was gonna be easy. He just said you're gonna be married. But if you follow his instructions and you know how to pray and ask for his power, what he says is if you, when your marriage works properly, who knows that that is one of the best kinds of peace in the world? And who also knows when the marriage is not working properly, you might as well kill me now. <laughs> That's why there are Proverbs that literally said, better is the husband that is out in the desert or on top of the roof when it's raining than in the house with a meddling or grumbly wife. <laughs> and men, don't you dare say amen. <laughs> and trust me, it goes vice versa because it, there's lots of Proverbs that talk about that women have a very difficult time with lazy husbands. There's lots of Proverbs about that. The point being, when marriage is in order and harmony according to God and we're putting in the work there's peace, it rains. When we stop, disorder comes. Family is another one. When you have the hierarchy of the parents and then the children, and there's an order and a structure to the family and a right kind of submission and honor that is going back and forth, not in some abusive way, but in a willing and joyful and structured and safe way. Boy, oh boy, is family one of the best gifts in the entire world. Peace is the glorious effect when things are working properly or they are in right order. Otherwise, there can be no peace. So now listen to Jesus. What does Jesus say? Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. This helps understand better what he was saying. He's saying, I am now allowing you to have life under my lordship. I tell you what order to put things and where to rank them and life under my lordship will bring you peace. Who here has experienced that? When you gave your life to Jesus, you started letting him organize it. What was the feeling you got? Peace. And what happens when you start going against God's law for whatever reason 
what happens? We lose our peace. When Jesus says, peace I leave you, he's saying I'm finally allowing humankind to come under my lordship, my direct lordship, under my rule and my perfect wisdom for you and for your life so that everything will now work in proper order and in harmony. He says, if you want, I will begin to tell you and I will begin to form in you right thoughts and right emotions and right desires and right wealth and your stuff. And he wants to get it all moving in the right direction and in the right order. This is why the tree of knowledge ruined us. It's because we went, God's like, hey, life under me is pretty good. And we're like, well, let's just try it with life my way. I'm gonna take that fruit and I'm gonna take a good big bite of it. I'm gonna try this experiment. Who here tried that experiment and you've come back? <laughs> You're like, mm, I'd rather have the tree of life. It's Jesus. Jesus also said you can't serve two masters. So you can't wake up one day and go, Jesus, today I'm gonna do me. Tomorrow we'll do you. And Jesus is like, look, fine, do what you want. I gave you free will. But all it's gonna mean is that today is gonna stink. And tomorrow, if you actually do it, much better. What he's offering is life under his lordship. It's either us or him, and we have no idea what we're doing, so let's pick him. It's like the time I let a mechanic friend come over to help me with my car, and I kept putting in my two cents the entire time. Do you know how much I know about cars? This much. <laughs> and my car is broken. I can't even use it. Mechanic friend, out of their just kindness and generosity, comes and is fixing a car. They didn't even ask for me to pay for it. But he gets in there, he's like this, this, and for some dumb reason, I'm like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And I'm like... I don't know what I'm talking about. My friend eventually pulled, the, pulled his arms out from under my hood and yelled, fine, then you do it, and drove home. And this is exactly what we do to God. Yeah, you can come into my life, Jesus, so you can power me up to make my better decisions. And Jesus is like, oh, no, no, no. What I said, die to yourself, and then the happiness comes. You gotta die first. But, uh, that hurts. Yep, 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 yep. We act like we know what we're doing, but in reality, we have no idea. We're people on the way, and Jesus is like, where are you going? I don't know. How would you like a different way of being? Yes. And thank God, he's not like my friend. He doesn't drive off on us. The minute you are ready to repent, meaning you're ready to stop living this way and start living his way, he's right there. And I love at the, at the end of Genesis chapter three, after they admit their sin, they're like, we really messed up when we ate from that fruit. We're sorry, God. We know what it's like now, how it feels to be outside from our relationship. We want you. What's, what's Jesus do? He comes and he clothes them. Isn't that beautiful? We feel so vulnerable and like a loser and ashamed when we try this without Jesus, and then we're like, Jesus, please help me. He doesn't, he doesn't even shove it in our face. He goes, okay, first let's cover you. That's the type of God that he is. First let's cover you up. I don't, want, I don't want anybody else to know your business. Nobody else needs to know, just between you and I. You ready to start a new life? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My peace I give you. These are the, some of the things that the world has programmed us for. 
Here's some of the ways that the world gives us peace because what did Jesus say? He contrasts it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, but not as the world gives it. So what are some of the unspoken ways the world gets us to live for it rather than Jesus? And maybe we are not paying attention. First one is pleasure. The world says live for pleasure. Live for the good feeling. Get intoxicated and addicted to that. Where Jesus says live for a purpose. That is the cure. If you're going, wow, when I think of I'm on the way, really all it means is I just go from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure to pleasure to pleasure. Maybe I'm adrenaline junkie. Maybe it's a thing. I don't know, but it's pleasure. The way out of that is live for a purpose. Don't live for pleasure. Live for him. Live for his purposes. Another one is progress. I'm, I'm all at progress, 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 progress. I've got to get a, a promotion. I got to do this. I'm progressing and progressing, progressing. Where? How far? How long? At what cost? Instead, what Jesus would say is learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful that every time you, that a new thing comes your way and he's helped you to obtain it, don't just move on to the next thing. Learn to be thankful for what you just got. Don't let the enemy steal that from you. Achievement. For a lot of people, they think that their happiness or their joy or their peace can be in achieving things. If I just achieve enough. And Jesus is like, no. The way out of that is love. Stop trying to achieve stuff. And instead, love better. Love the people around you better. Love Jesus better. Love. Stop trying to achieve so much and instead focus on love. The world is really good at compliance. <laughs> the world is like, oh, you'll feel lots of peace as long as you don't rock the boat. Don't be rocking the boat. Don't be trying to sassy frass me. Except that's the world talking. You think you Christians know? You don't know. And we don't mind what you say as long as you don't actually rock any boats. Penance is another one. For those with a Catholic background, you're like, oh, I know what that one is. In our context here, the world tells you, you can't have peace until you have paid off all of your sins. That's the difference with Jesus. Jesus goes, I pay it for you. I'll pay it for you right now so you can have a clean conscience and peace in your heart. That's his offer. The world, no. The world goes, if you were this way, if you were that way, first you gotta pay it all off before you get to have any peace. Isn't it amazing the people that usually pride themselves that they're the most forgiving are usually the most unforgiving? Well, I forgave you. It doesn't feel like you forgave me. <laughs> Well, I'm just gonna keep bringing it back around because you know, you just haven't learned your lesson. No, no, that's called unforgiveness. Now, there are times where we do need a little help from the past to keep us in check in the present. But it's very different when the person just conveniently keeps bringing it up when you're already feeling down. The world wants us to pay off our sins. Jesus says, I paid it for you. You can enter into my new life. And then autonomy and anger. The world is all about you be yourself. And you be strong in who you are. But it's always in this divisive way towards everybody else. That the world would want me to be fully me as long as you all are my enemies and you threaten and make me feel threatened. But Jesus is like, Chris, you can fully like who you are and in such a way that you can like fully like everybody else. This isn't a zero-sum game. Me winning isn't your losing and your winning isn't my losing. I get to be fully me, you get to be fully you and that is the beauty of it. And lastly is anger. A lot of people, the world has taught them, be angry. If you want your peace, be angry all the time because anger is your peace because anger is your protection. 
Anger is how you keep yourself safe. So be close to anger all the time. Protect yourself. And Jesus would say is drop the anger and start being a community builder. Drop the anger and start learning how to build people up and build community up. These are all the ways that the world aggravates our peace. The ways that Satan destroys our peace through the world. And he literally is laughing at us when we destroy ourselves. And Jesus is trying to say to us, wake up, oh sleepers. Like the scripture says, wake up, stop living for pleasure, stop living for progress, stop living for achievement, stop living for compliance, stop living for repentance, stop living for autonomy, stop living for anger. These things are taking away your peace. Drop them and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then the peace will come. And so now we get to the practical part. Simple question. How organized is your life? That's the question. Because the degree that you answer that is the degree, I would call it your peace quotient. So if you're like, Pastor Chris, my life's a mess. Well, your peace quotient probably will reflect that. So if you want to increase your peace quotient, what do you need to work on? Getting your life organized under his, under his leadership and under his lordship. That is the key here. And some of you in this room, I know it, and that's fine. I'm gonna trust the Holy Spirit to keep working on you. You're literally gonna go, Pastor Chris, that's gonna take a lot of work. And I'd rather just keep my method, which is whenever I'm about to blow, I just pray and say, Jesus, give me your peace. And then after that moment, you wake up and then you go back to a mess, which then makes you start the fuse all over again. When you can't actually have an alternative, which is literally begin to structure and organize your work under his lordship and he will provide with supernatural power if you will trust him. And then as that begins to happen, guess what happens to your peace? You don't even need to pray for little pieces of peace anymore because there's such an upswell of peace overall because your life is working properly. So what is the first thing you need to have organized in your life? First one is Jesus himself. Get back to making sure that Jesus is number one in your heart and in your life. He is the one you're living for. Because if that has gotten off the mark, whether it's your job, whether it's your girlfriend, whether it's your boyfriend, whether it's spouse, whether it's your children, whatever you're placing your identity, the minute that something else takes priority over your relationship with Jesus, mess begins. Heartache begins. Jesus is the way of the truth and the life. So this morning, make sure that Jesus is first. And if he is, then let's move on to the next checklist. Next one is conscience. Make sure your conscience is right. Nothing else in your life is gonna work if you have a bad conscience. If you got stuff that keeps weighing you down or things that you feel bad about and you're not actually going to Jesus and asking for forgiveness and also how to do better in this area to do right. Second is family. Look at your family life. Is it organized? Is it structured? And usually the Holy Spirit will talk to your conscience a lot about all the rest of this stuff is the Holy Spirit is regularly letting our conscience know, hey, you're not spending enough time with blank. Hey, maybe, maybe, and he gives us ideas. Try doing this. Try doing, it's constantly directing us. We gotta listen to that. And one of the most important areas of our life is we gotta be looking at our family and the structure and organization of our family. And church is our church life. Workplace, for a lot of us, that's a big one. <laughs> it's to the degree that you can, try to find an organized way of approaching your workplace uh, that feels like you're in control and under Jesus' lordship. And then, of course, also your wealth. These are some of the biggest things that disturb our peace because they're not truly under his lordship. But the minute we start putting these things in right order, peace begins to come in that lasting, deep way we're all looking for. And then the second question is, how restful is your life? 
Rest in peace. Peace first. How organized is your life? And then look at what are you doing that's restful? What do you enjoy doing? When was the last time you did that? How often are you doing that? And is it seeming like that is enough? That's it. Some of us in the room, you're like, oh my goodness. I haven't done something restful in decades. Who am I living for? And you're like, this is like the most common sense question I've ever heard in my life. What happened? I told you we're losing our heads. And some of you are going like, oh yeah, I remember now these things that are restful. And then I said, does it seem like it's enough? And a lot of you are going like, no, I would like to do a little bit more of that. Whatever that is. And then it's probably right now you're going, that feels so restful and life-giving right now, doesn't it? To do some more of those things. Rest in peace. You get to choose the life you live. Is it going to be the grave? Or is it going to be the sunflowers? Enjoy a well-crafted, well-built life according to the one who made it all. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Life under his lordship and his ways. And it is a well-oiled and non-chaotic life that he has for you. So again, rest is enjoying something good. Peace is when things are working properly. Look at your rest quotient. Look at your peace quotient. And if you put those two together, my friends, we will start being salt and light in this world that following Jesus is better than anything else. Amen? We're gonna now enjoy communion together. Worship team, if you want to come up. And the ushers. Each pastor does communion a little bit different. But it's the same Lord that we celebrate. So I'm going to read from John chapter 6, where Jesus talks a lot about communion. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats this flesh and drinks this blood remains in me and I in them. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat this flesh and drink this blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. From Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. For what I received from the Lord, I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Otherwise they eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under, some ju under such judgment. With that, let us take some time to search our hearts and purify them before the Lord, confessing where there's sin and thanking him where there's not. And this is also the perfect time to commit yourself to the Lord. If you are here and you are ready for some peace and some rest under his lordship and no longer your own or this world's, then this is the perfect time to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior in a very tangible way of taking the bread and taking uh, the blood in a way that is symbolic of saying, Jesus, I take you in. I am now ready to be yours and I'm ready to come under your Lordship for all of my days. So with that, let's just take a moment of silence and search our hearts before we take communion together. Now a reading from the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you heavens. Praise him, all you angels above. Praise him, sun and moon, shining stars, lightnings, hail, snow and clouds, mountains, hills, kings of the earth and all you nations, young and old, men and women, children. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for surpassing power and greatness. Praise the Lord. And they all said, amen. The body of Christ broken, so they may be healed. They all said, amen. The blood of Christ spilled so that you may be clean. Even now, let us let the Lord, as we go into a little worship, begin to organize what is out of disorder and also begin to speak to you in those wonderful places. He wants to bring that rest and order into your life at every, every level. Let's take some time and let's praise the Lord for his goodness and his manifest presence among us this morning. The blood of Jesus shed for me. Way back on Calvary, blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power and it reaches to the highest mountain Soothe my 
for me too I know what it was like what it felt like going from day to day praying for his peace and it was so fleeting and so hard and I remember I finally just got so fed up with it I asked the Lord what is it God why is it so fleeting and that was when the Lord opened my eyes what I shared with you this morning there were things going on that were driving me that were not of him and I needed to also learn how to take a look back from my life and look at the whole order of how I was prioritizing and how I was investing. And the minute that I submitted to him and came under that yoke and I felt the weight, boy, oh boy, did I also feel his presence. And then just keep growing and I am still learning. That's why as a church we offer so many classes is to help you learn what God wants and how to organize your life according to it. Because we know then you won't be constantly going, I need more peace. You will now be a person overflowing with it because your life is well organized according to his Lordship. I'm gonna pray a blessing over you. Father God, thank you so much for this morning, our time together in the presence of your risen son, Jesus. And also the instructions and promises of your word, which never fail for those who obey and believe. And so Lord, I just pray a blessing over everybody that is here. They wouldn't focus so much on how hard it is, but instead they would more focus on what it is that you desire, what it is that you want, and maybe the enemy already in their courts trying 
to camouflage as Jesus. And I pray they would start to see it and notice it and kick the enemy out. And instead, Lord, to yield to your beautiful and gentle voice. May we be a church that's constantly listening and constantly learning so that, God, we can be a blessing not just to ourselves, but to our entire community who you so desire to want to come under your Lordship to. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In your name, amen. Thank you for being here, everybody. Hope to see you again next week.